Hey guys, welcome to Because I Said So, the podcast where we discuss age and how it affects how we perceive ourselves, how we perceive others, and the conversations that we have because of it. Thank you for listening, and please leave a review to support the podcast. Thank you. Everybody. We have a very special guest today. He is a good friend of mine and his name is Yael. Yael, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Yael and I, and she obviously ran out of gas and I was her last resort. And I'm just kidding. I'm very excited to be here and I'm excited to talk about uh, things about that are important. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so diving into kind of our first thing, I think that we both really thought it was important to talk about mental health, especially being like, well, I guess last month was Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, and so growing up for you, like, what was your home like? And what kind of were the stigmas surrounding mental health and just kind of your experience? Well, from my experience, um, when I was young, I did not know mental health was a thing. We did not talk about it until I started growing up. I was like, oh, mental health is a thing. And I think I've, I kind of talked a little bit about this with you that like the stigma with POC families um, specifically is kind of with mental health is kind of um, bad because it's seen as like a weakness and it's not seem like a struggle that can be fixed it seemed like um if you have a mental illness then you um are weak-minded or just weak in general and that's how i felt during the times where i was struggling mentally and yeah yeah and i think that that is it's so prevalent because i think that today in a lot of culture we see kind of mental health becoming like you said more of like a struggle and something that you can overcome but I think that there are a lot of other cultures, obviously, that are very different and that kind of still hold um, just very stringent views on it. And so when did you maybe first start to have like mental health issues? Like how do they manifest when? And then kind of what was your response and your family's response? Um, I would probably say that they started, um, well, they probably, I feel like my mental health has probably been lingered in the past with childhood you know like just trauma and stuff but um i think it started to really affect me when i started going turning into a teenager basically when i had become more a little bit more self-aware and started realizing that oh this is the problem and my family reacted um better than i expected they were like let's help you out with this let's um get some support and help for you and i thought that was really good especially from the stigma in the past that i felt from them so good but it also didn't always stay this that way but yeah and the the reaction with me was that i i was always like i guess pretty i don't know like self-aware about mental illness and how important it is to talk about it so i was like I'm glad that they were on the same, we're on the same lane here about that this needs to be taken care of. Yeah, and you say it didn't always stay that way. And so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that and also just how you even initiated this conversation to begin with, especially after you had already felt that stigma in your household. 
Yeah, I remember when I, this is actually kind of a, a very specific story, but I was like, oh, this is what it feels like, that this is harsh. I remember in eighth grade, well, I had a lot of, well, well in eighth grade, I, I was always considered a gifted child. Like you probably know about that, like gifted. Everyone probably who goes to the school that we go to is probably like, yeah, I, we, yeah, gifted child. And then I came to seventh grade, Megs, I did not know anybody. It was awful, it was an awful year. And then eighth grade came around and then they were like telling us, oh my God, did you get into Hume Fog? Did you get into this school? Did you get into that school, whatever? And everybody wanted to go to Hume Fog because it was such a nice and like a, a good school. And then I didn't get in and it actually like, it hurt me so much because I didn't like anything about myself except the fact that I was gifted and and when that was like oh you're not gifted either that was that brought me into a big depression and it was really bad and the worst thing was that I didn't want to tell my parents because I thought that they were going to be disappointed in me and I didn't want my siblings to know because I am the older sibling in the family so I was just like I don't want to put like as an older sibling to be like hey can you help me to like a fucking like oh sorry can I curse yeah can you're I curse fine. in this podcast <laughs> okay um, I didn't want uh to uh I didn't want to like tell my problems to like a a nine-year-old so I was just like let me just lay low and it would it was awful it was literally awful and then I would just try to like put on a mask of being happy at school and then I would get home and like sleep and cry and just watch Wendy Williams and and I would try to watch like videos that would make me laugh but it would not help and yeah it was awful and they they did get help for me at first but the stigma kind of rolled back again into thinking that I was going to get a little bit more support from my family and then they were kind of saying all these things that were kind of hurtful about mental illness that made me seem kind of weak-minded and stuff and they made it seem like why can't you just be like like in back to normal and back to like how you used to live and well it's not like a cold it's not like you take medicine and like you go back to normal in like a two days or whatever after taking medicine it's like you have to pinpoint the things that led you to that and try to find a resolution slowly and gradually yeah I think that that is it's huge and I think it is really easy for our parents maybe because they didn't have that same idea within them like their own peer group and their own culture about mental health that it is not just something that you can just like snap out of um and I think it's interesting and I know we're getting into that later about talking about like compounded trauma and how maybe they didn't deal with their own things and how that affects us but one thing that I also thought was really interesting that you were talking about is kind of like that idea of identity and how you defined yourself as somebody who was gifted and so then when that label was taken away it changed everything that you knew about yourself and so I was wondering if you could talk just a little bit about identity um, too and how maybe you've tried to work on building yourself in different ways that aren't just adjectives that other people describe you as because I know that I still struggle with that too. I would probably say that it's better to acknowledge that it's that it's only you, that no one can love you more than just you. And you have to acknowledge the good things about yourself. Like there's so many good things about every individual. You have to acknowledge the fact that, hey, 
I'm good at this. I'm good at that. You have to tell yourself that instead of other people, because I feel like in the past, at least for me, I would only live for validation and like acceptance if it, be, it came from other people. But if I told myself like certain things just to myself, I wouldn't believe it. But I became much more healthier mentally when I started believing those things. And I started telling me myself those things. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that it's a huge thing. And I don't know if it's like the chicken or the egg situation. Like maybe some of that also comes from being told that you are gifted or all of these things at such a young age that you kind of then from then on, you're like, oh, I need that validation. Like I like need it because I've experienced that. And like everything that you were saying about like living for validation, like feeling like everything is just based off of validation. I totally understand that. Um, and I think that what you said about kind of like also just how gradual it is. Like you said, with the mental health earlier, it's like these changes don't happen overnight. Um, and I think that the way you summed that up was really, really beautiful. And then finally, I also want to say, like, we've talked about kind of your experience, but also on the, like the broader spectrum, being like a male person of color, like that tends to be the most underprivileged group when it comes to like seeking mental health treatment. Um, and so kind of talking about that and leading into the idea of how that kind of overlaps with male eating disorders. Um, and I just wanted you to go ahead and kind of introduce us into that topic as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like you said, very underprivileged. A lot of people don't, a lot of people in general don't talk about mental health even less for males and even less for males who are people of color so it's like ooh, 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 it just gets lower and lower where it's like it's very hard for me to speak out about this and just be like um I'm feeling this way without like I said the stigma and yeah with the eating disorder things it's even worse because I feel like that's such a very um I guess a very prominently it seems like only women have or in media it's portrayed like a certain way where only women have anorexia where it's much more broader than that men have eating disorders and there's much more eating disorders than just anorexia and stuff um, but yeah I tried to speak about it but it was it was hard I'm not gonna lie it was it was hard talking about the fact that it that I had an issue especially to the people who kept telling me that mental illness wasn't normal, but it, I, just, I, wanted to, I wanted to be understanded and I just felt like I wasn't receiving that. That's like the bare minimum I asked for just to be understood. Yeah, and can you talk a little bit about maybe like when that developed for you, why, and then kind of what made you try to come out and talk to them about it? Because I feel like that in and of itself is a really hard process. Again, after you'd already faced that stigma, and all of that, I just, I can't imagine. Yeah, I feel like uh, since I was little, I was always surrounded by people. A lot of people don't like talking about this in the Latino community, but a lot of, in that community, a lot of people are obsessed with like looks and weight and height and everything that's like just superficial and like not the best thing to really pay attention to all the time. And um, I was surrounded by all that, I guess, toxicity, if that's the word. 
and I would always be criticized for this, miss my skin color. I was always the darkest in my family. I would be criticized for my height or I was a chubby kid, little kid, like a five-year-old and they would criticize me for that. And I feel like at first looking back at it or living in that moment, you're like, haha, they're like making fun of me, whatever. But then as you get older, that those things start piling up and those jokes start becoming like your insecurities. And I feel like when I started becoming a teenager and you started caring about what other people think, which is like, you can say, oh, I don't care what people think. I mean, that sounds good on paper, but in reality, you do care what people think. Mm -hmm. I started being like, oh, I'm very insecure and I don't know how to handle this. Like it's, it was, it was harsh. That's when it started like manifesting and started like becoming a bigger problem instead of just me being insecure about a little thing. It started insecure from the top of my head to the tip of my toes it was it was awful yeah I think that there's so much that you said in there that I think is very there's a lot of emphasis on it that you could say like a lot of different people and I think that especially what you're saying about kind of like those things and jokes that you may hear like quote-unquote jokes when you're younger how they really manifest especially for someone like you who bases a lot of themselves on what other people say or did at least in the past I think that that plays such a big role and kind of just hearing you talk about that and hearing like all of the stigma already I think that it kind of digs you into like a deeper hole and it makes sense that that was kind of a coping mechanism for you and kind of what you were saying about how we leave out like males in the media can you talk a little bit about how we leave males out of kind of like the general like concern of eating disorders and maybe how we demonstrated as such a female centered issue also especially like you said with just like pointing painting it as like anorexia and forgetting about these other things even as we try to be like oh well males are included but then like steer it back to like okay but females they're you're the real issue yeah i feel like in media just in general, when people talk about disorders, it's always just the same thing. It's always a, 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 a woman who, and I feel like in TV shows, they don't do the best showing what an eating disorder really is because sometimes I feel like it's glamorized and it's like 1, shown as some that. Um, and it's always, yeah. And I feel like they always show uh, only one eating disorder ever and which is anorexia and they never show like what other things get you to that point or what other things are on the opposite side that are also extreme and um yeah and I feel like when they do show barely men with eating disorders it's sometimes either seen as comedic or sometimes seen as a joke and it's being asked seriously and it's always seen as oh you're you're a mess because if you're not a man but that's a topic for another day yeah no I totally agree I I think that there is such like a romanticization of it especially around like white women specifically I think that it's portrayed as like this delicate white woman type of thing and it's weird to even say that because in eating disorder specifically like even anorexia, the one that's like most commonly portrayed, it's not delicate. It's like disgusting and horrendous. It's like, there's so many different ways that I think that they portray it. But again, like you said, there's like 
so many different eating disorders, like binge eating disorder, et cetera, that are just not really portrayed because you can't like, it's not as easy, I think, to make them glamorous. Like anorexia kind of, I think, fits into what, like the stereotype of like a delicate, frail woman type of like that stereotype that's existed for a while. But I think that the other ones just don't fit as much into like this narrative and it's harder for them to glamorize and therefore like profit off of. And I like what you said, especially about it being like almost comedic when they have like males, because I think that there's things that you could go in and you could kind of diagnose them, but they're never really explicitly said. Like the males are never explicitly said to have this eating disorder. Maybe like the females are. Um, And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about kind of the body image things that we push on to males. Cause I think that it's a like, you talk about like women and like their body image things and you see campaigns on social media and you see different modeling agencies having like these plus sized female models, but it's not talked about with men. So can you kind of talk about, about that a little bit? Well, I feel like nowadays it's become a lot better like you start seeing plus size people in like um in like modeling campaigns and stuff and I think that's really good because it's like not everyone has one body um I think we should understand that by now and I'm so happy that we've took that step forward but you barely see any uh, like different body types of males and it's, it's it's something that also needs to be fixed because you believe that when you see the people who are models, they're usually very tall, very thin, or very muscular, very fit. And yes, there's people who do look like that and who exist, but there's also people who are very, very thin and like very thin and like also people who are much heavier and a lot fuller and stuff. So I think that that needs to be paid, like you need to pay more attention to that because we're men are also human beings and people don't acknowledge that and people need to start acknowledging the fact that yeah there's emotions here and I feel like that has to do a lot with toxic masculinity and stuff and people talking about it but I feel like we also need to put our foot in and just like be like hey we need to see this yeah I agree I think that like you said like there's I think that there's a difference in kind of like the especially like through like the modeling industry of like what's been expected of like men and women. So I think that like part of the reason that people were so quick to point out the things of like women is because they were so skinny, which is immediately like turns on people's things of like, this is unhealthy. Cause like, again, the anorexia situation, all of that. So it turns on like a thing of unhealthy, but we're still setting unhealthy standards for men, but maybe they're not as overtly unhealthy when you portray them as like these extremely muscular men, like, while that may not be completely unhealthy, it can also be just as harmful because it's a very unrealistic thing to maintain. And so I think that that I've seen that recently a lot more since I've just kind of talked to you a little bit about that. And just even in these past um, few days and few weeks, kind of like noticed that and been like, wow, we're setting men up to these like unrealistic standards. We just maybe don't notice it as much and also like you said because people don't speak out on it as much yeah I think it's so beautiful as someone who's surrounded by a lot of women um like I have cousins I have a mom I have a grandma I have all that a lot of uh women get to see themselves in the media in modeling and stuff 
different sizes, different skin colors, different everything. I'm so happy about that, like extremely happy. So I just wanted to say that. So I, so I won't seem like, um, why do women get all that? I just, I just think it's, it's very beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And then also, um, kind of relating to that and seeking help for that. Cause I know that you had talked about the stigma with seeking help for depression and those things. I was wondering if you decided to have that conversation with your parents about the eating situation and maybe what the result was there. Uh, I started talking to them about it. I kind of was scared to say the word eating disorder because it's such a scary term to say. You don't want to get to the point where you want to be labeled to a mental illness and it's a scary thing to label yourself as. Um, but I never really said it. I was just kind of hinted at it, like very obviously. And they kind of said, we need to fix this, but they continue to do the things that what I've, I've always wanted to point out and that you can take me to therapy, you can take me to whatever, but if you continue the things that keep hurting me, that just puncture deeper and deeper, I can't cure myself or I can't like, I can't, um, get better like you keep stabbing me and i try to stitch it back together but yet you continue to stab me full of me trying to get better but yet you keep pushing me further into the hole yeah i think that that is it's so huge i have said this a lot recently just in discussions with friends like you can't hurt in the same i mean you can't heal in the same environment where you were hurt and i think especially like you were saying it's like as these things heal and like you try to heal, it's like, you're just like reopening the wound. Like you're just, you go to maybe therapy and you get some stitches and then you just get home and they tear out the stitches type of thing. And that kind of brings us into like the topic of compounded trauma and maybe how that kind of flows down from things that they've experienced and that they don't even realize that they should probably be going to therapy for themselves. And so can you talk a little bit about that and how you've maybe seen that and how that contributes to the issue of just not being able to heal? Yeah, um, I'm not a psychologist, but I like to think myself as a psychologist, and I'm just kidding. Um, just looking at my dad in general, he didn't have a, a father in his life, so I felt like he always felt like he needed to be over like very manly. I feel like when I talk to him about mental illness, he's very understanding for someone who's very like ultra masculine and stuff, but yet I feel like he is not there yet. And he seems like he makes it seem like this is not a big deal. Like this is a weakness, whatever, and so on and so forth. And for my mom, I, I, I think that she had problems with eating disorders in the past. I don't think I know that she has. And, and uh, I think that she's been insecure all her life and she passes all that insecurity onto her children sometimes. And I feel like um, that's harmful. Because you think that what you're trying to do is care for them and love them for yourself and you keep pushing it out of way to your children so you can't think about it and you and I feel like a lot of parents struggle with mental illness, but um, they don't think about it. And once they, it's still going to be in there. Mental illness is still going to be there if you don't talk about it, if you don't, if you don't get help. 
So eventually it's gonna leak out. And unfortunately for us, um, my parents' mentalness leaked out on me and my siblings, you know? Yeah, I think that what you said about like, it's still going to be there if you don't talk about it. Like, it's not going to just go away. Like, it's still just, it's going to fester regardless of if it's out up front or if it's hidden away. I think that's really, really huge. Um, And then, yeah, I think that one thing that I wanted you to kind of touch on was that power of observation, especially as like a young kid, because I know a lot of trauma, like scientifically tends to like change your brain before age seven. Um, and so I was kind of like, I know that you talked about like things that you maybe witnessed or like saw and know about from like your parents. And so I was wondering if you could talk a little, a little bit about maybe how you feel like that power of observation has affected the way that these things have later developed, even if they've manifested like years later. Yeah, I think I've seen a lot of things that when I, when I was at the moment there, I was like, well, that was interesting. But like looking back at that, I was like, that was pretty messed up to see for a five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old. And even though I don't like to admit it, it definitely affected me a lot. Like, just like imagery. Like I remember when I was like eight years old, seven years old, I remember we are my family is undocumented or wasn't documented in the past and my parents were on the losing they built in this country to send because of it was a time where they just wanted to deport people just simply because they wanted to and I was scared just imagery of my dad being arrested was awful because I knew that he was not a bad person. I knew that he had never committed crime in his life. All he tried to do was just to take care of us and just seeing him be put down like that and be, like being treated like he was a criminal for doing nothing is traumatized, but it's just an example. Um, but yeah, I feel like a lot of things that I looked, I looked at when I was a child or smaller, um, definitely lingers in the in, in my mind still. Yeah, I think that that experience, one, is so, it's like, it's weird because for me, it's like, that sounds so unique and I haven't heard that experience before, but I know for so many, especially in our country, that's a reality and that's not totally abnormal. But I think that especially when you're so young and your parents are kind of these infallible beings and they're almost like deified in your mind or deified, I guess, I don't know. Um, they're godlike in your mind. That <laughs> seeing that must be a total like change in perception of what you're used to because you're used to seeing them just like as those figures and then they're no longer those figures there. And the thing about what you said of like, you know that your dad is a good person, you know that he hasn't done anything wrong, but yet it's still that situation is still occurring, I think has to be so traumatic because you're seeing that the world is not fair at such a young age and it's happening to someone that you love and it's just must be very world shattering. Yeah, it was very, um, it like made me very scared. Uh, And again, I feel like continuing the trauma. I remember when that whole situation was going on, I was in second grade and I would just act like everything was normal. Like I would do my home thing and then go back home and hang. And then I guess that, that habit like went on into like when I didn't get into human fog and just me trying to 
I was really in a bad situation and very. Yeah. And did you, after that situation in second grade, did you ever like, did your parents talk about that with you guys? Or was that kind of, again, just kind of like left unspoken and you kind of like were left to deal with that by yourself or, or I mean, was it voiced? I mean, we talked about it and how it affected all of us, but I feel like we, it was such an uncomfortable topic that we tried to stay away at as much as possible because it was such a traumatic experience for every single one of us that it was just like, how about we never, I mean, even though it's hard, we, we still have to talk about it, you know, like it's, it's still, it still hurts. But yeah, like I said, we barely touch surface on it. Yeah. And then kind of in, in other ways, like how else do you feel like maybe there are situations that parents might pass down that trauma to their kids? Because I know that that was kind of a situation that it was almost like it happened to you all, but it was almost like a, it could have been fixed. And I was wondering also if there are like situations that maybe you weren't even there for and that you would not have really incurred had it not been for like witnessing those things so I know you talked a little bit about with eating stuff but also just kind of other ways that you feel like parents might pass down that trauma well I like I said I feel like it's passed on disguised or the way I've seen it disguised as caring and love and everything like that where it's like oh she's caring for me but it's like oh no no she's not or no he's not like they're not caring for you at all I feel like that's how it's passed down when it's like, I don't want you to feel the pain that I felt that I have unresolved. So let me just put this hurt on you. And it's like, you're not helping Miss Think or Mr. You know, that's how I, I have experienced it. Yeah. And I feel like it's not always like with bad intent either. Like people, parents can be well-meaning and they can think that they're actually helping, but just the effect is not helpful at all. And so how do you feel like we kind of fix these issues of compounded trauma or also stigma? Like, how do we have those conversations? What do you say to be like, maybe that's not helpful or to be like, maybe I need help? Um, I would probably say getting to the root of the problem. Like it starts off mostly with the parents and it has to resolve from there. So they understand that the issues that they had were not normal. Or, or, or they, they were like the issues that were put onto them were not normal. And the problems that they're forcing or putting on their kids is also not normal. And it has to be resolved from the parents. And they have to understand that they have to have a better understanding of mental health, mental illness to um, basically resolve those problems and get to the bottom of it. And then once that's done, I guess, talk with the kids and see and say, and do the same thing. Um, yeah. Or sometimes I say, this might not be the best thing, but like sometimes aggression, I, I know that it's not great. I mean, like not, don't punch your parents. I'm not saying that, but like, um, uh, I feel like sometimes you can be like, Hey, can you like, please stop that? Like very aggressive tone because you have to sometimes put your foot down. Like you have feelings, even though you're younger than your parents and they're obviously more wise than you. You have to be like, this is hurtful and damaging to me and put your foot down and be like, yeah, this is not what we're going to do anymore, you know? Yeah, I think that's huge. And that's like 
one of the big things that kind of I feel like was the foundation of why I wanted to start this podcast is because I feel like youth voices are so often overlooked and because parents or adults are like quote-unquote wiser you know I feel like we don't get as much of a say in things like exactly like this because when you're maybe trying to put your foot down or trying to have these conversations either kids are too afraid to have them or people don't listen and so I think that what you said was really really important and then what if you feel like maybe a conversation isn't possible or your parents aren't willing to kind of put in that work what do you feel like um as a child who's maybe received this trauma what can you do to heal and move on um I mean maybe while you're in that environment but also maybe once you're out of that environment and you are an adult and kind of moving along your own path well, I actually have been thinking about that lately because I'm so close to turning 18 and obviously we're about to be seniors or we're already seniors. So I've been thinking about like, oh, leaving the state for college and stuff like that. And it's like, how is this, how is that going to affect me? Like, I feel like I'm going to feel very in, in peace because then I'll understand what was the root of all the problems and how when I'm outside of that environment I can get my head straight and like think straight and resolve the problems because I feel like once if you're in that environment where it's just toxicity you're like there like things are just flying around your head all the time and you're not thinking straight but once you're out of there you're like okay this is logical thinking this is how it needs to be taken care of and yeah but during the meantime, all, all I would say is probably just um, keep loving yourself because we are beautiful. We are all beautiful. Yeah, I think that, that is, that's so beautiful. And kind of as the final question, I wanted to ask you if kind of going forward and you being so self-aware and also just aware of mental health, do you feel like this makes you more like excited to maybe be a parent and feel like you can do a good job of helping your kids maybe with trauma if you want to have kids um <laughs> or are you maybe more scared because you've seen maybe the different types of trauma that parents can pass on unbeknownst to them yeah um i've i'm like the only person in my whole generation who wants to have kids like i've talked to almost everyone and they're like i know that's not what's gonna happen for me i'm just gonna like live in the woods or something and i'm like no i actually want to have kids so i i do want to have kids and i feel like this is a good way to see how you should what you should do what you shouldn't do to keep your your children mentally stable and i feel like even though this generation gen z has a lot of problems i feel like they're gonna be pretty good parents because we're a lot more aware and a lot more like accepting and progressive about really just anything and but specifically mental illness so yeah I, I i'm grateful at the same time so and not not even just when i have kids just people around me in general like my friends or like just anyone who has mental illness how to how to uh, approach that and how to um, deal with it, you know? But yeah, with children, just experience is good. Yeah. And y'all, you are such a lovely human. I wanted to say thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you. I had a lot of fun talking about trauma. No, I, <laughs> this was really 
fun. This was really fun. And I'm glad that I got to speak about this because I feel like a lot of people who are like, he has an angry bitch face. So he has nothing to um, say or do. And I'm just like, well, I do, but that's, that's okay. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I feel like everybody who knows y'all loves y'all and if you don't then now you do so thank you y'all for being on and you're welcome everybody for having y'all on <laughs> but thank you so much everybody for listening um and please remember to like subscribe and share thank you